celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Talk Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Today we have Eric Murray. Now, for those who don't know him, let me give the intro. He is a two-time gold medal Olympic champion, an eight-time world champion, winning six consecutive world rowing championship gold medals in the Coxless Pier, plus, plus two more gold medals in the Coxless Four and Cox Pier. Alongside Hamish Bond, they set an unbeaten partnership of 69 races and solidified themselves as the most successful combination in rowing history, holding the world record time of a 608.50 in the men's cockless pair set at London 2012. Understandably, they've taken out many awards, most notably uh, in terms of the Halberg Foundation, taking out the Halberg Supreme Decade Champions Award for 2010-2020. And in 2013, Eric was appointed a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for Services to Rowing. And in 2018, International Rowing Federation awarded Eric and Bond the Thomas Callum Medal. Then we go to 2023 and the New Year's Honours, they were promoted from, uh, from the member of the New Zealand Order of Merit to the companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit for Services to Rowing. So Eric, you're obviously an NZ sporting legend, but you're also a dad, coach, advocate, a home renovator, dancer, golfer, and today oh. you today you're with me. So welcome. <laughs> what an what an intro. I was gonna say you're going, oh I was like, oh yeah man. And you spill it off like that and you're just like, yeah, there's there's a lot of water under the bridge. <laughs> there certainly is horror horror bridge, all the bridges that you've been <laughs> back and through. And I have to ask where and how are you today? Uh, I'm good, actually. Yeah, um, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Um, my girlfriend's father, unfortunately, passed away. Um, he had been battling leukemia for a few years, um, so that was that was sad. But you know, it was, it's one of these these things when you when you're diagnosed with terminal cancer, it's a it's a process to the end, really. Um, so it was sad. Um, good send off though, and then yeah, back to Cambridge and. Um, organising some indoor rowing championships for the end of October, so making everything live, um, getting all the details sorted and finalising things and T-shirts and medals and, and all the other things that we'll have for the competitors. And So that's pretty crazy. And then I've got the council coming around to look at my renovation to check some things off. Um, she's all go, I've got to say. And then this weekend, I'm with... Uh, it's the anniversary of our friend... And we were down in Queenstown with her. So we've been going back every year uh, and going snowboarding for a few days. So we're off to Queenstown this weekend. So this weather, let's just hope that it's dumped some snow. Um, and then we'll have a great time this weekend. Oh, wow. Think there's a few things there. <laughs> Firstly, sorry for the loss of your, your girlfriend and the family. And the fact that you've got straight into all this other momentum, I feel like summarizes <laughs> you a little bit. Like there's this happening, there's this, there's thinking forward got the renos going on and we know good luck for the council good luck for snow um <laughs> and um oh we can we can talk all about it a hundred percent i think it is it is something to it's an interesting one because it's a very i guess poignant topic um you know there's uh, there's a lot to talk about but then there's a lot you don't want to talk about but at the end of the day i think um uh when you're talking about you know, people taking their own lives. Um, you know, it's it's one of these things that I think you'd be like, look, let's make sure it doesn't happen again. So I think in terms of awareness and and 
and just being vocal about it, talking, understanding. And I don't think we all understand because it's not something that we'll all go through. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely there's a definitely a lot there, and I think having experienced it myself on a personal level, um, yeah, it's a uh, it's something that I just don't want to see anyone else to go through. And so yeah, suicide and and people's thoughts and their mental health, uh, it is a very very interesting topic and something that definitely needs to be talked about openly and honestly, um, so that we can all we can all understand. Yeah, no, th- thank you, and that's part of the advocating and. Having those conversations, especially when you have a platform such as yourself and you can connect with people because not a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Or they don't want to say the wrong thing. And part of what I hope to achieve with this uh, podcast, it's about tall poppy syndrome, right? And that can be as serious or as surface as as you want it to be. Um, so mm. to jump kind of straight in there, what would you define tall poppy syndrome as and how did you think you've maybe experienced it or seen it? Uh, I guess I'm not, I probably don't have a really good grasp on what tall poppy, I guess, is clinically or, or, um, I guess the right terminology about what it says, like, I don't know, is it even in the dictionary or anything? There's um, no right answer. But no. Yeah. And, and all it is, I think is, is people's just like, in a way, I feel like there's, there's a couple of layers. One's like a jealousy issue. One is just uh, like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not sure if I like that person or I don't quite understand who they are. So I'm willing to see them sort of like get knocked down a little bit, you know, and it's like, if they do, if they do successful, it's like, oh, yeah, great. And if they don't, then it's like, ah, oh, I told you so. That seems to me what I understand sort of tall poppy is. But I, if you look deeper into it, I think there's, there is that whole lot of jealousy. It's like, I could have been here or people don't like what you're doing or they, they'll be like, oh, I could have done that better, you know, that type of thing. And I feel that's probably the way that like Paul Poppy is 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 spoken about um, because it is quite negative, but at the same time, there's eyes on it. Does that make sense? So there's people are looking at something. So there's communication and there's engagement, but at the same time, there's just a negative outcome about what you're actually like talking and, and doing, which just seems really bizarre. And I guess that's the whole Paul Poppy thing because people are just like, man, why are the people that like, you know, and it's it's not everybody, but it's there. And it's yeah. just like, why why is it there? That's probably, I guess, the question is, why does that actually exist? Is it a jealousy from, and I'm, let's, let's not get real, we're crazy, but is it a jealousy from back in the day where people were like, there's a king and a queen and someone else, and I wanted to be them. And so I wanted to see how people fail. And I want what they've got, et cetera. And I think that's really where it stems from. It, it must go so far back. A hundred percent. So I've asked, that's the one question I ask everyone on the podcast and Mm. it just evolves in my head of what it is, because firstly, everyone, all Kiwis know the phrase tall poppy syndrome, but they all answer it differently. So that's why I'm like, let's talk about it. Like you're saying, bring things in the open. Why do I feel jealous? Like, why is your success a threat to mine? Or why does that inherently what we feel like? And a few people have said, Maybe it's that two degrees of separation. Like we feel we have a connection to someone. So if they're succeeding, we feel that need to be like, oh, well, settle. You're still one of us. Or someone else said, yeah, does it go back to the start of civilization where it's like, hey, if you have that, that means I don't have it. And if you've got those crops, that means I don't have the space. Like 
everyone mm. gives a different answer and I think yeah it, it tends to be pretty negative but that's why I want to flip it and be like how can we actually raise each other up and when you see something cool or someone doing something epic be inquisitive like for you you you're rowing the expertise I'm like and you clearly share with other people you're wanting to grow people if it's for fun or actually elite pathways but that's what I want to hone in on is how can we help each other instead of looking at each other going oh well shit why do they have that and I don't have that yeah I honestly we could get so philosophical here and and dive and go down some really really deep rabbit holes in terms of in terms of that and and it goes to people's psychology and, and everything and in a way i'd love to have done psychology um because i love like i do like getting into people's brains or, or even trying to understand mine because of you know i look at it and i'm like man why did i commit so much time and effort you know because i just did it it was just something i i wanted to do you know there was the want and the need and the desire but then there's other people that don't go out to to do that sort of thing and and it goes right back to where you're brought up you know um you know generational poverty like all the other bits and pieces it's it's ridiculous to think like you're here in this moment and this you're brought into the world and your family had opportunities or they didn't they had very good opportunities which means you've got a kickstart in life um and and that's really what i see with with the whole conversation is you tend to find that that's where it all lies is the deepness in society rather than you know it's it's i think it's ingrained into you slightly because of the have and the have not um you know and where you've been brought up and and you're you know i've never had a go at this because i can't but i reckon i could be better you know those sort of conversations and that's really what I see this whole tall poppy thing being about. And there's no way, there's in a way, there's not really a way to change it because I can't be like, hey, you know, unfortunately it's like kid from the middle of South Auckland who's, you know, um, demographic and ge geographical location isn't going to help. And it's like, well, they probably can't get into rowing, for example, if we use rowing as the example. And then it's like, so they'll never have the opportunity. They might see it on TV, go, that looks like fun. And maybe I could be good because I've got some size, I've got some thing, but you never have the opportunity. You don't have the resources available. You don't have the transport. You don't have location, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's what a lot of it goes down to is, is literally where you're born, you know, what, how you're brought up, uh, the opportunities given to you younger uh, on the way through. And you've got to be able to like, to be able to escape some of those, those, bits and pieces in those places is very difficult um and you go you start basically just unwinding and unraveling like what society actually is and the reality of it and i think that's one thing as well is just understanding the reality it's like you're given opportunities or you're not given opportunities and can you climb out of the shit pile or you know like what is it and and that's that's what it comes down to oh a hundred percent and even like on a surface level of it i'm i went to cambridge high and St. Peter's is right there. And when I got into rowing, just from that innate being of being a Cambridge High kid is we wanted to shit on the St. Peter's private kids. We're like, oh, well, if we had that, we'd go. do this. Just why? And then actually I started rowing with them and I was coached by Norm Charlton, who's a coach out there. And I'm like, oh, these guys are actually really good and they, they work hard and yet they've been afforded different opportunities. But I've been afforded wicked opportunity so you could always go back and like you said you get to the person who's 
in a landlocked area somewhere rural in the South Island with no access to a river. And who knows, they could have been 70 unbeaten mm. consecutive races. No, no way. No <laughs> jokes. <laughs> Want to go back to something you mentioned before, and that was one question I had written is like, obsession is the word that comes to mind when I think of mm. you and the Kiwi pair. Like, Hamish and you, you spoke at a Cambridge High event back in the day when I was there. And I remember you said you got to the start line and you looked over and you were like, I've worked harder than them. At the start line, you know, I've put in the work. Sure, a crab could be caught. Something might happen. There's always those um, inver- like variables or something. But when you start rowing, it's because it's a thing to do to keep fit for rugby. And then there's this little gap, but then you're training you're training you're training and pretty quickly take that stride and then we've got four olympics world records world championships commission all these things have happened at what point did the obsession start do you reckon (laughs) uh yeah wow um i feel in a way like the obsession started when i was first sort of shoulder tapped um to be in the academy here in carapira you know and i'm only Geez, what was I, 19, 20, and we were the first group of, I guess, athletes that centralised. Um, you know, that before us, there was nothing. It was people just trained in their locations, trained for nationals. If you won nationals, you went to trials, and generally whoever won, like, nationals was just going to go to world champs if they were fast enough. And then they were like, well, we could, we could bring some people together and start trying to develop them in the same similar fashion with – you know, physiology and, and strength and technique and everything, and bang, you're going to get some really good results. And that's what happened, you know, so we were the very first people. So the obsession I can remember back then, because it was just like your life revolved around it, you know, the decision-making was about you and, you know, how much money do I need to make, you know, working part-time to allow me to just row twice a day, every day, and, and then still have a bit of fun on the side and and allow me to get better. And and that's And that's really where it starts as you start looking at, what you're doing and it, t- it takes a while and go back going back to the start of your question one of the things about turning up on a start line and looking across and saying I reckon I'm going to win today is realistic expectation and I think that realistic expectation starts to come in it, it takes a little bit of time and maturity but you start to realize what you can achieve in terms of your time right doesn't matter if it's rowing or or, or Valerie or um, uh, Eliza, Tom Walsh, anyone, right? They're throwing, they're jumping, whatever. They know how high they can do it. They know what they've been doing in training. You ain't miraculously turning up and throwing another meter. You know, like you might get a little bit more than you've like been doing in training, but majority of people at the high level will start to understand what they're doing, how fast they're going. And that's what we were doing is we were like doing races, doing thousand meter pieces going, okay, this is three minutes, 10 that's pretty good, you know, flat water. That's not bad. You know, if we back this up, we're 6.22. That's one of the fastest times in the world, you know, like it's only seven, eight seconds off the old world record. So it's like, that's pretty fast. So you're starting to understand what you can achieve. And then all you've got to go out and do in a race is do what you've done training. You know, you don't have to find, you don't have to find some magic. You don't have to find luck. You don't have to hope that someone, you know, catches that crab or has a shit stroke. <laughs> you've really got the understanding of like, I think like, I know, I know in my heart in my, in my training and my belief that I am, I am at that level. 
Now I've had very, I've had a lot of, we had a lot of races where we were undercooked, you know, injuries, sickness, whatever, travel. And it's like, this isn't going to be our best, you know, and, and our, and our piecework would show. And so then it's really, then I'd go, okay, I think a good time for us is 6.25. Now, you know, if, if that's, if somebody goes faster than 6.25, we're going to lose, you know, it's simple as that. Um, and on, and we had a very, we had a lot of very, very close races um, out of that, out of that period, all because of that. But when we turned up and I knew everything was firing on all cylinders, it was like, good luck. Like we, we, I know, I know we can win. We still got to go through the process. We're still going to be able to do it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm pretty confident in my capabilities. And that's what that realistic expectation does is give you confidence, right? So you're not sitting there. You're still dealing with nerves and anxiety and pressure and everything else. But you're not sitting there going, man, I have no idea what's going to happen here. You know, whereas you're like, we can go this speed. We're going to go here. We're going to hold this pace and we should be good. And if that's, and that's how it worked out every single time, you know, and, and it did, and it played out exactly how we had done in training. And it was like, good, let's keep doing this in training. And you go back to the drawing board. And so now you've got a benchmark and you just keep working from there. And that's really what set, it, set us apart. And we just started in great. And I've got to say that didn't come to us for like seven, eight, nine years. It was, I, I never, I sort of knew that I was trying to push myself and my goals and get better than myself. And, and I wanted to be faster today than I was yesterday, but it was getting to a point where you're like, this is my benchmark. I know where it is. And I've got to really work to stay there and hold that. And, and then knowing that your confidence that's coming from that gives you that, that extra uh, like stress relief, that, that relieving of that anxiety so that you can have that confidence. You can not go out there and be like, oh, no, like something's going to go wrong. Um, and that was what it came down to, you know, and knowing that that realistic expectation. And I think it's one thing I, I talk about a lot of stuff when I do corporate things. And it's like, you know, if you're if, if you're not on target for something, how do you think you're miraculously going to pull it back? You know, if you haven't planned for something, how do you think you're going to just miraculously fucking wave a wand and it's going to happen? You know, it's that process and making sure that everything's in. And that's the reason, you know, and, and, and I know it's just it's just it's just a, a real life example of KPIs, you know, and SWOT analysis and all this stuff that you learn in business and in life, you know, of going, what's my indicators? Where am I? Yeah, I'm on target. Bang, bang, bang. Good. You know, we've got a really good opportunity to be here when it actually matters. Um, and that was the goal. Be there when it mattered, which was every year at World Champs uh, and every time when we turned up at the Olympic Games. Far out, man, because high performance, right, is being able to perform when you need to perform. It's mm -hmm. not that it's no good, but awesome if you're kicking ass in training, but you need to turn up on it. And I was going to ask, like, how do you deal with performance pressure? But you answered that. It took <laughs> seven, eight, nine yeah. years to get, to get there. Uh, well, well, it, it actually did. And I think it was it was because when we when you started you didn't really I, I think your parameters jumped so much so you'd have a good training then you'd have a shit one you know and it was like oh and we do some good pieces and then the next next week they were bad and you're like oh you know and you're like oh, they're not very good you know and so you would jump your your standard deviation you know like the distance and time was was massive and so you were like hmm i don't have i'm not compressing that so that i've got a very very small window of the bad to the good, you know, like it, it yeah. was, we were like this. And of course that's the fucking, that's an ocean when you're rowing. Um, and, and so it was really just trying to figure that out, but we didn't really have an idea until it was like, okay, 
we know once you start winning and you go, I'm winning, here's my times, here's what we're doing in training, this is now the, the normal, right? It's 240 Ks a week or whatever the hell it was. It was these weight sessions, it was this technical focus, uh, and it was this setup, you know, and you get all of those things right and it gives you a really good opportunity to be consistent. <clears throat> Not saying that we didn't try things, like don't get me wrong, oh man, the number of times, I think that was once we started figuring out our realistic expectation, which was probably, I think, in 2009 was, was really we started, you know, figuring out we've actually got some speed. This is good. Then we was after sort of 2010, we really started being not afraid to fail. Okay. And like be vulnerable and, and just really, really have really do some crazy shit and be like, well, how are we going to get better if we're not really trying to push the limits and, and trying to exceed? And so we'd do like these 4K races, 5K races on Carapiro, and we'd be like, right, we'll go out real hard. First, first 3K, we're going to nail it, right? And we'd be flying. Boom. We completely blow our cookies, right? And we'd be like, right, eh? we've got 3K, right? We don't have the rest, right? So what do we need to do? And then we just go not as hard at the first K, and then we'll just really keep the pressure on. Now we're at 4K, right? We've nearly got that sorted. And then you just keep going down the list and just be like, well, we've got the starts sorted we've got the first 500 sorted we've got the middle k sorted we've got it now we're going to work on our sprint or, or vice versa you know like sprint could have been there whatever and you're just mixing all of those together so that when you turn up at that world champs at the middle of end of august whatever the hell it was um for their year you're like i've got all of these pieces of the puzzle together bang marriott um we're on fire and and that that was what we started doing later in our careers and it was something that we just had to learn over time um don't don't get me wrong i never went out like we went out every time to like okay we're on a very good race and we'll see how this goes never in a wildest dreams would i have thought we would have gone through the whole thing unbeaten we were just trying to put all the pieces of the puzzle together and if and if our puzzle was slightly not connecting because we were a little bit underdone in certain areas didn't matter we just wanted to see what we could do and then know we, that we had to work on it to keep going and to get faster and to get better um and and that was the only way that you could approach it See, that's something I want to jump straight on is there's a duo. Like, how did you know Hamish was obsessed with, were you trying to outpull each other? Like, how did that click? Because that's rare. <laughs> uh, it is very, very rare. It is rare. And I'm not going to lie because it was like, we okay, we had to work on things a lot, you know, and we were trying to keep it. Because one of the biggest things over time and understanding is it's very, it's very easy to to learn new things, right? But it's very, very hard to break old habits. So one of our philosophies was like, let's not let bad habits form because bad habits are very, very difficult to get out of because if you're working on other things and holding things, you're going to get back into bad habits, you know, whether it's, you know, just rushing the front or just like square, whatever it was, right? Just don't get me wrong. And it was like, this isn't going to help our boat. So just trying to figure out all the bits and pieces together was was the key. Um, and of course, when we got in the pair, we knew we were fast because we had, we had trained together when we were in the four. So we'd, we'd just switch it up with the, the two bow sliders, two stroke sliders. Um, and we had two even pairs when we were when it was me and James, Carl and, and Bondi. Very, very even, basically the same speed. And then when we switched, we were like, catch you later, we're out of here. Um, and it was, we were so fast, even to the point on the Olympic year, we, we went super quick at like the North Island champs and beat George and Nathan by about nine seconds who went on to get bronze in the pair. So 
it was sort of like, hmm. But at this time, we're, we're not we're not looking at jumping boat. We're not we're not jumping ship. We, we're staying where we are. But when we got together, it was like, okay, I think Hamish, and Hamish summed it up perfectly. Um, many many years later, and he goes, when we got on the pier, I knew that I was the best row in there. It was the second best. I was like, settle down, pal, settle down. I was like, I'm number one, you're number two, buddy. And and of course, so you've got these two people who think they're the best, and you put them in the same boat together, and you're like, well, they're probably going to go reasonably well, unless you start like fighting, right? And you're like, well, I'm better, you know. So all we started to figure out was like, how do we find smooth boat speed? How do we train hard? So, you know, while we're on the water, it was all about working together in unison and, and et cetera. But then when we were off the water, it was like, I'm going to beat you. I'm like, if we were on the bike ride, I was like, I'll just try and keep up or I'll do a little bit of work or I'll, I'll whatever. And if we're on the rowing machines together, it was like, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you. You know, like, I'm, and, and it was just, we competed like that all the time. So I was pushing him, he was pushing me. So I'm looking across going, I ain't, I know I'm going way too hard here, but I ain't slowing down. I ain't slowing down. And so then you just got this, this trying to just really squeeze every little ounce of like speed and and technique and trust and everything in one another to make it go fast. And so then when we started having conversations about what do you think we're doing right? What do you think we're doing wrong? What do we think we need to work on? What do you what do you feel like we need to do to get this this synergy and this and the smoothness of this boat going? And Hamish should be like, we need to do this, this, and this. And I think you can help by doing this. I'll be like, cool. Well, okay, if I'm doing that, you know, do I need to help with you with this? So it was a complete collaboration about figuring out what we needed to do together, but also as individuals, which are going to help the boat. Because if I was trying to overwork Hamish, a boat ain't going fast. So what's the point in that? So if I had to back off slightly and get the get the stroke in a different a different um, like the pressure on just a little bit later than Hamish, perfect. We just worked on that and then we find speed and it's like let's continue that going. Um, and that and that was really the way that we did it because we we had complete trust in one another that we were trying to make the boat go fast. That was as simple as it was. It was and we were working as hard as each other off the water. And so you look at each other and you go well. There's 15 guys in the gym here doing uh, like an hour root session, and we're going to be about three or 400 meters quicker than any other person. So who else would you rather be in the boat with? You know, like <clears throat> that guy over there or me, you know, and it was the same. And so we're just like, I know that I need you and our best possible, the best chance of winning is with you. Um, and so that's where that duo formed. But I think the way and the reason that we lasted for as long as we did and we're able to hold that synergy and hold just not capitulating, you know, was the fact that we we did have completely different lives. And so when we're down at training, it's like, right, pal, we're on. Let's go. Trust, talk, talk, warm up together, sort everything out together, do everything together. But then as soon as we left, it's like, I'll see you later. I'll see you tomorrow. And it was like we didn't live in each other's pockets. So we weren't just, even though we had these obsessions, which we talked about before, we had our own obsession at home, like going, and then we'd turn up in the morning and go, hey, I've got a great idea. Should we try this? You know, and like, oh, what have, have you thought about this before? And so you can use that obsession, but at the same time, you're not like, let's go down to the pub or let's go to the cafe and let's do this. And, you you know, come on, let's go do this. It's like, but he doesn't want to. I don't want to. So even though you've got complete, you've got to realize that everybody's got completely different lives. Everybody's got completely different ways of dealing with stress, pressure, anxiety, um, fatigue, whatever it is. And so we just learned what one another needed. And if, if Hamish came back and he was just like, I'm just going to go have a nap. I'm like, he's pretty tired. He's pushed it, you know, like, and I'll be like, cool, you have a nap before lunch. I'm not feeling super tired, but whatever. Uh, and then that was basically the way that we worked it going forward to create 
the basically the Kiwi pair. And in our whole time, we never ever had any, I would say, serious arguments about anything. Anything that you'd be like, I'm gonna knock this guy out, type of thing. It was just really we're we're working together and we're doing what we need to, and we have to be able to do this together. So synergy, trust in one another. Um, and it and it really has stood the test of time. Oh, it has. And that maturity, as you say, to recognize what the other person needs, your mature athletes on your own. And then when you come together, get the job done. What was it like then when you did the Cox pair? I know from reading uh, reading the book many years ago, it, it might have come as like, yo, let's give this a go. But you're adding a whole nother body, which is weight, and a whole nother set of variables. What was that like, adding someone else to it? Well, one of our, one of our, I, I guess our 2013, 2014 mantra, because we, we started being like, okay, because, because I guess what, what, what we've done is we've won, you know, in, in rowing terms, probably in any other sporting terms, is you want to tick off the goals, right? You want to become a national champion, world champion, Olympic champion, boom, 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 right? Those are the three. I'm pretty sure everybody in the world would be the same. And you start at this level, you try for this level, and then bang, you're going to get to the top. Um, and so that was that was really what we were trying to do over that period was just figure out what we needed to be able to do, like and and how we were actually going to be able to get to that point. Um, and so it was it was such an interesting dilemma, I guess, working together and, and getting that understanding of one another. But we had to come up with knowing that there was goals that you had to follow and and how are we going to keep motivated? And I think that's one thing is as you look at it and go, well, we're just doing the same shit day after day, rowing up the river, you know, okay, we're trying to get very, very good at our, 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 our what we're doing to a point that later hindsight, right, isn't it so great? Um, what we were searching for, which we didn't really understand at the time was clinical proficiency, right? And you've heard this saying and you've heard it on on thing where, you know, how many of the videos you see on TikTok and bloody Instagram where it's like, you know, an amateur does it till they, they they get it right and a professional does it till they can't get it wrong. Same thing. Same, same thing. It's just, there's just a word for it and it's clinical proficiency. You're doing it so well all the time that it's just, boom, done. You know, no different with a surgeon. They go in there and they just, boom, 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 and it's done exactly the same every time. So there's no mistakes, right? And and it's and it's the easiest, it's the easiest, um, <laughs> I guess, way to describe it. Um, and so what we were trying to do is be like, well, how do we keep things fresh? How do we keep pushing ourselves? Because if we keep just doing the same mundane things all the time, we'll probably get complacent. Now, I don't think we were getting complacent, but the, if you just, if it's the same old goal, you're like, oh, I remember January, it's the same shit, different day, you know, like different year, same thing, which was good because you saw where you were in terms of ERG test January. If they're always increasing, you're like, I'm getting faster. If they're going backwards, you're like, I'm getting slower. So we did the singles quite a bit. And then one, and then of course, Hamish goes, hey, I want to do the Cox pair. And I was like, oh, and I was like, you know why nobody's doing the double up? And he's like, yeah, because no one's done it before. And I was like, exactly. So that was really the situation. It was like, well, okay, one crew's done it in the past um, years and years ago, whatever. But like, let's do it because it just hasn't been done for so long. And there's a reason so many people have tried and they have, they've failed. Some of the best rows in the world have tried in history. And so he was like, let's give it a go. And I was like, okay. And so then it was just like, it gave us this renewed energy of like planning and preparation. It's like, right, this is what we need to do. And we need to try and do a bit more power stroke work because that's what the boat's going to feel like. So we changed our 
our training to be able to do it. And then, of course, even when we were doing races at Carapera, you know, everybody would do like these winter series and we'd do another one in the middle of the Saturday, you know, and it was like, oh. And so just bits and pieces like that where it's like pushing our boundaries so much that we knew we were going to be prepared. Because at the end of the day, that's what, what all we were trying to do was just get prepared. And so pushing ourselves, pushing the limits, testing, motivating, you put it all together and it's keeping it fresh, right? And that was our motto that year, 2014, was keeping it fresh. Singles, Cox pair, Coxless pair, uh, and we went overseas. We were training real well. Honestly, um, one thing I think a lot of people, you might have read it in the book, was we did the World Cup in Agbalet in France, the first one that we went over to. And then, of course, there's a there's a climb there that used to be in the Tour de France like back in the 60s and 70s. So then we're like, get on the bikes at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and go climb this mountain for like two hours. And because Hamish wanted to do it. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. I have struggled straight. Don't get me wrong. It was about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to the top before I was. Um, but of course it was like, let's do it, you know? And so we're just doing stuff like that, which is just making us like, this is great. You know, this is what we're trying to do. This is what we're trying to achieve. So that obsession's still there. It's really pushing the motivations there. It's like, this is good. This is exactly where we need to be going. Because if you're, if you are enjoying things or you're getting pushed and, and getting tested, you're always going to give it, I, I think more energy and just more concentrate just anything right the commitment that you're going to give to something is so much better when you are getting that testing and stuff like that rather than just being like same shit different day i think that's where we fall into these traps and you know mental health starts to stuff suffer is if you're not looking at something if you don't have anything you're like i'm just going through the process now i know i get it it's hard life's fucking difficult but don't get me wrong you know same shit i've got to pay bills i've got kids that are growing up uh, you know, I've got to look months in advance for a holiday and this, and you just got to go through the thing. And that's where it becomes very, very difficult, um, I guess, in terms of like general health and well-being and, and lifestyle. Um, and But that was, I, I try and use similar mantras now in terms of like what I do in my life, um, because I don't want to fall into those traps, you know, because I know that if I just get stuck in that mundane crap all the time and I don't have my renovation or my golf or something to target or whatever, or like, hey, I want to get to this stage and I'm, I've got this competition coming up in six weeks or whatever, so I'll practice for it. You've got to have things that you're working towards, otherwise you're not. And that was 2014, just summed it up right there in terms of like going for it. And at the end of the day, we came away with, then we won the Cox pair in world record time by like 11 seconds or some stupid thing. Um, and then we won the Cox's pair in the second fastest time ever. So, you know, and if we hadn't erased the Cox pair, I reckon we would have obliterated the Coxless pair world record. hundred percent. We would have fucking destroyed it. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's in or there. <laughs> yeah. The turnaround time I remember too was what, like less than, was it less than an hour? Uh, what? No, 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 no. We were, we were, tw we were, tw we were racing every day, every day. So we, um, um, we basically raced. Jeez, uh, I think we went, we went Mon Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, no, we missed the Saturday. We raced the Friday, and then the Saturday group um, raced the Saturday. We were like, we're done. But of course, that was the thing. Normally, we raced three races, and here we are doing six. You know, like it was your workload doubles, and I don't think people quite understand that. It's not, it says double, <laughs> but in terms of output, it's exponential, right? When you start losing it, it drops like a, like a, a, you know, like a train off a cliff. It's just boom and it's gone. And so we really had to manage ourselves that week very, very well. 
something we've never had to have done before. And I and that's the thing, you know, I look at people like Grace and Kerry and and you know, they double up at the Olympic Games and stuff like that. I'm like, whoa man, that dicey. That's you know, because it is, it just takes so much out of you um, doing two races. You know, when you race one to capacity, I've always looked at it in terms of a percentage and when you're racing and you go, if you, and, and especially in our younger years, it was exactly how it was. You give 100% in that race on the first race and you get 100% return, right? Now, the second day, you give 100%, but you're probably only going to get 99% return, maybe 98 if you're lucky. Then in the third day, so this is the third race in three days, you're giving 100%, but you're getting about 95, 96% return. And if you're good enough to try and compress that and so you're 90, you're, you're 100, 99, 98 and a half, you know, like that's what that's what a very good rower or a very good athlete is able to do, back things up day after day after day. doesn't matter if you're a 1500 meter runner, um, you know, a 200 meter sprinter, you've got to do enough to get through, enough to get through, you know, and then bang, and then leave it out on the track when you have to. But generally you'll find that they're not lighting it up as what they should be because they've had to do three races or yeah. four, or however and many. That was something I had uh, Grace on and I asked like, one, the physical, but I said mentally, like, what if you went out in the pier and it didn't go well and then you've got to go into the eight, especially because with the, Tokyo lead you didn't have the world cup so they were basing gold they were basing times off how the pier was going so I was like far out were you worried mentally like shit if we don't do well in the pier what does that make everyone else feel because they're basing us up and she was like yeah well fortunately that wasn't an issue it was the opposite (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah but you know it's and this is the one this is the great thing about Ryan and and this is we go right back to some of our conversation you know at the start about that realistic expectation is if you're comparing yourself to the world records all the time which we've done for years and you're the closest to your world record and it doesn't matter what condition flat tail headwind whatever if you're the closest you're generally going to have the best opportunity of winning or winning a medal it's as simple as that and our and our system hasn't lied you know, the people at the top, which was us, Mahe, uh, Nathan and Joe, all these other people, it's like, you know, Pete and Storm, all my time, they were at the top. We were, we were in this cluster at the top changing places and then we'd go out and win. Mahe, go out and win. Double my guess second or third or whatever. And you're winning medals. And of course, and it's, so everybody just starts comparing themselves all the time on these prognostic results. And so if you're, if you're going along and you're like fifth or sixth, seventh down the list and you're about 2% behind, realistically you've got to be like do i need to change my expectation of trying to win medals to just making it into finals you know and that's one of the things as an athlete that we didn't do well enough as as a younger person which i try and get through to to other people now which is this whole realistic expectation thing don't just think you're going to be there because you've worked pretty hard everybody's working hard i get it but there's there's also the output that you get from that working hard and you, I want people to be confident to go in and be like, hey, look, this is my... Re-. And, and some, the, the, biggest, the biggest issue is it's like telling somebody, hey, you're going into the Olympics. You're not going to win a medal. You're struggling to make an A final. How does that weigh on them mentally? You know, they're like, oh, but my whole... I've worked these four years to get to this point. And you go, you're just not ready. Like, it's just... And there's... You can't do anything about it. You know, like, it's, it's as simple as that. And, and it's, a, it's a hard place to be. But at the same time, it's realistic. And you've got to be like, well, give ourselves the best opportunity to make the final and then we, we make we make it what we can from there. But if you're not in the final, you don't have an opportunity rather than thinking, oh, you know, I really want to win. I know everybody wants to win. Everyone wants to win. That's what they're there for. 
but you've really got to manage yourself in that way to be able to go, look, I'm undercooked. We just don't have the speed. We're just not going that fast. Uh, let's salvage what we can and then go back to the drawing board. And it's very unfortunate because it happens. It starts to develop and you see it and you're like, we're not getting any more speed. Shit, world champs and the time is getting shorter and time is on your side. And then sometimes it's completely against you. And that's how it goes. Something that, that you made me think of during that, there's a video of you watching Emma Twigg's uh, oh, gold yeah, medal, yeah. right? And it's <laughs> I have to confess, sometimes if I just want to like get nostalgic or if I want to feel like emotions, I'll watch it because oh, yeah. I cry watching you cry watching oh, yeah. that. Can you oh. tell me about that? Even just thinking about it, I'm like, oh, the emotions because she's a class act and what were you thinking watching that? Uh, <laughs> well, no, I I knew that she was going to win a medal. I knew that she was she was going to. I I had a I had a winning silver because I'm okay. paid, I, I'm a realistic person. Yeah. She she the the other the, the Ukrainian chick or whatever she went faster in the semi final. So what was the variable that changed? Which, like you spoke before about knowing. What I think it got in her, I, I think it, I think it got in her head. There was a thing, and it was. I think it was a. Don't know if it was her first Olympics. I don't know. Like maybe she just she just didn't do it. She didn't do it very well at all in the race. Um, whereas prior to the Olympics, I had been working with Emma and Mike, and just and we just had conversations around coffee table, and I just said to Emma, I was like, you just got to figure out how you want to run the win the race, and I was like, you got to train to win the race, like what we did, the first five hundred right, second five hundred third, and how are you going to do it? What's your strengths? Are you real powerful? So do you want to gun it at the start, try and gun it at the finish and slow down through the middle? Or do you want to be conservative here, be really good, consistent through the pace and then see what happens at the finish? Um, and I said, so you have to figure that out in your training and what your strengths and stuff are. So I, I, I was like, I've done, I've done all I can to help her get into to the best shape. And then, of course, you know, she was training well here and then went over to Tokyo and, and it was basically just, and it was that, you know, but looking at her times, I was like, well, I think you're going to get second, you know, unfortunately. I was like, but you ain't getting fourth because the the demons riding her back and with the chains around her neck going, uh, you're going to get fourth again. I don't know how she got through that because that was the big, because like that was the thing that we sat down at the coffee table, which, and it like, it makes me, ugh. Is that she? I was like, what, what, you know, what, what, what's your nightmare? And she goes, going to the Olympics and getting fourth again. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, nah. I was like, right. So you got to figure out how you're not going to get fourth. How you're gonna, how you're gonna do it. And that was the thing. But of course, you're sitting on the start line, going, I've been here <laughs> twice before, and I've come away fourth. And you're like, holy shit! If that happens again, man, I'll fucking break my boat in half. I'll never step foot on another thing. And I'll hate, you know, you'll hate it forever. And you'll just feel like you're an absolute failure. And and that would be very, very hard mentally. I think it would have been massive. Um, and so, of course, I was just like, I knew she was going to get a medal. And then, of course, when she got out in front, I was like, she's going to win. And I was like, this is, this is like anyone that deserved it. You think Emma's been so consistent, but she hasn't quite been able to get that. Like the thought, you know, like winning, winning before, Jeez, did she win? She won twenty fifteen, uh, whatever you know, like, and then she didn't back it up, and and you know she was second in twenty eleven, yep. you know, and then didn't back it up, and and so you're just like, holy shit, you know, this is 
it's like you're sitting there going, and this is right. If we're going right back to this conversation and you get to a poppy, if people be like, ah, oh, no, you're probably going to lose a game. You can't fucking do it. You know? And, but that's the mentality of people. I've been like, nah, she can't do it. She's shit. She's going to choke. And that's, you're like, fuck up, man. Like, why are you, tr-? you know, but of course that's just what people do. It's just what people say. Um, and it's just like, so I was, yeah, I honestly, I was, I was tearing up because I was like, I've, I've, we, we trained with Emma for, for so many years, you know, intimately for four years while we were under the same coach and traveled together, did everything together. Um, you know, we were our own little squad every single day on the water, you know, and, and it was just like amazing. So to actually see her come out and, and win and be like, I knew, I knew she deserved it, but at the same time, for whatever reason, she wasn't able to do it those previous times. And, and it just, that's one thing that I think a lot of people get, um, that, that falls on a lot of people is that you generally don't go to your first Olympics and win. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Sometimes you go to your second, you can get close and she did, you know, but then you, you'd expect in a normal trajectory, you'd be like, well, you've made all the mistakes, right? Boom. And I think that was it. But for whatever reason in Rio, I think the rough water got to where whatever else happened. And it was just like, shit, she didn't do it very well at all. Um, but yeah, to be able to actually finally do it, I think just solidified how good of an athlete she is. And, you know, looking at her going forward, I'm like, um, you know, I can't wait to see how she'll go this time. And, you know, now that you've got that gold medal, she went through all of those things, right, that I talked about before, bang, world champion, Olympic champion, and she's done everything in between. So, um, you know, what more could you ask for? Yeah, it makes me think of the Richie McCaw documentary. He talks about, I don't know if you've seen it, when he was with his uncle or someone, and they said, what are your goals? And he said, you know, I want to make this team and Crusaders, whatever the team, all black and then greatest all black, GAB. And that's what you want to do. It Like you've reached Olympic gold medal. Oh, well, what's the next thing? Let's do it again. And that's just, it's unbelievable. So yeah, thanks for giving the background on that, watching Emma mm. and how you got there. Because seriously, when I watch it, I tear up every time I'm like oh he's so proud of her and I'm so proud of her and you just really got behind her but to your point in other years uh people like to give their commentary on oh this and that and a fourth and you're like for fuck's sake you have no idea the amount of work that's gone into that you have no idea oh yeah and that but this is this is it's a it's the whole reality of high performance sport at the end of the day as well you know and and it's it's not a when you're on the winning side, don't get me wrong, I, I loved it because I won. I've got friends that were in the team, you know, who won some medals, never achieved what they, I think, hoped to achieve. You know, yeah. and it's just like, but that that is, that's exactly how it is. I've got international people, you know, who you raced against and, and they're putting their heart and their soul and their time and their effort and everything into it. Same with them. They never managed to get it across the line, you know, and so you're like, man, there's a lot of people out there spent a lot of time and you just got to start doing, you do the math, you know, and, and you pull it back to the the ability out of the out of the seven or eight billion people to be then in your discipline over the line first once every four years. It is an astronomical probability of, uh, uh, the proportions are just fucking ridiculous, you know, like it is just unbelievable to get to that point, not only to get to the point of being at the Olympics, but then to get to the point of being competitive in such a, like, because it is a small field, but it's such a high-end field um, that it's just like, it's another level, you know, it's pushing human physiology 
to the absolute limit, you know, and you can see why on these races, like people are absolutely, you know, you talk, you hear people talking tunnel vision and, and all this other thing because they've just pushed themselves so hard. Um, you know, and, and that, and that is literally what high performance sports about. And then at the end of the day, you know, our philosophies would take the luck and the hope element out of it as much as possible, but you can't always take the luck and the hope element out of it. Um, you know, because mistakes happen, there's conditions, there's everything else. Um, and that can have a massive negative or a positive effect, depending on what side you are, as to results. Yeah, my favourite part of Carapero uh, when I would watch races is at the very end, you know, when right by the Don Rollins Centre, when people have finished, they've taken those couple strokes. And there's obviously physical exertion, there's the mental, the looking at each other, no matter how they've placed, there's all these emotions. So for me, like, that's the best part of the lake. Carapero is there. What about you? I mean, you go all the way to horror horror and probably places I've never been. What was the best part of the lake for you? Uh, when you're taking the boat off the water. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're the pontoon. Uh, no, uh, see, I, I I think my my over my years, maturity, things changed. When I was young, it was gung-ho, let's go, you know, like let's let's take it out of the blocks and and create this, you know, try and get a lead and then hold on to it, you know, and it was like that was the philosophy. And then and then you started to realize it's not the best philosophy because you you're in this world of hurt all the time. It's too but you needed that. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you but you needed that in a way. And then you were like, but then you could use your sprint, you know, it's like, oh, this is gonna be tight, can't wait to sprint. Yeah, should I go? No, I'll go, yeah, I'm gonna go now, boom, then you go. Uh, and then and then over time, and when we got on the pier, we started realizing that the start doesn't mean jack shit. Okay, you want to get out, but you want to just be, you don't want to burn, like if you if, if you burn your candles too fast, you're like, oh, you know, we're in trouble. Um, whereas, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So then we were like, okay, then where's, where is, where's the hardest part of the race? And how do we work on that? And the hardest part was the third 500, you know, the third quarter of a race. Um, was that I think a lot of people and, and for any listeners out there listening, the thing with rowing is that everybody slows down during the race. Okay, everybody slows down because um, you just can't sustain the pace. So what we were trying to do was slow down less than our opponents. So we're still slowing down. Don't get me wrong, we're still slowing down from our first split to our second. There's a fade, and then from your second to your third, there's a fade. But what we managed to do was have no fade. Okay, which was a very, very difficult thing to do for most people. So they, so give your numbers, be like a 134, then a 136, then a 138. So we used to try and go 135, then maybe 136, then another 136, and now we're a second or two in front of somebody else. Easy. Okay, and while we're moving, while they're slowing down and we're, and we're slowing down by less, it looks like we are moving away, but they're just slowing down. And of course, if you're moving away from somebody, in the terminology of moving away from someone and you're like, I don't think we can catch them because now you've got, now they've got to make up two seconds in the last part of the race when you've got no gas left in the tank. So we were like, well, if we can get through that period and still have the ability to have the gas in the tank, if anybody tries to react and tries to sprint back on us, we can hold them off. Um, and so that was our, that was really where we tried to work on our race all the time. Everything was talked about the third 500, no fade, We'd be disappointed if we faded more than three seconds from the first to the second. You know, we we had our goals and our benchmarks. The two second fade, and and in our 
in our fastest races, we had a one-second fade from the first to the second. We had zero fade. We almost went uh, quicker in the third 500. Um, and then we would have like a half a second uh, increase in that last part. So we basically nearly even splitted the race, which was something that nobody in the world could do, which is, it's, it's, this is, this is racing, right? It was, this is just how it happens in rowing. Um, and of course, once we, we found that recipe, it was like, let's work on this recipe. Um, and that was the reason why we just started opening up gaps on everybody. Cause that was what we were trying to, trying to achieve. It wasn't let's sprint out the start and, and try and stay in front of someone. You know, we got a lot more, lot more, scientific and data-based on on what needed to happen and it shows you you can see the speed data you can see the speed data from every every boat right world rowing has gps's on every boat and you can see every boat go brrr, through the middle and slow down and then there's eric and hamish and we flatline and it's of course you see you're like well we need a flatline as well and so people started understanding that that's what they needed to do um but nobody was able to do it because we were trying to do that in our training all the time to be able to sustain when you're on the red line and you're like, I feel like I'm about to fall off and I'm going to literally blow my cookies. And it's like, how long can we stay on this red line for? Because we were like in a rowing race, we pretty much had to stay on it for about four minutes, you know, like the first part, you got a minute of free at the end, you got a minute of sort of free sprint. It's a little bit of time in between, you know, transition area. But that four minutes, four and a half in the minute, middle, if we make that, if we get that right, we've won. Done. We've won before the before we've won before the race is finished. And that and all our and all our good races, the races going through the thousand, going through the fifteen hundred, like London, Rio, most of our world champs, um, five seconds, three to five seconds. It's like you're not making that up. And there's quite a few where people would come back and we'd only win by one or two. But I'm like, who cares? We won, you know? And that was the thing. It was just making sure that we were in that ability to be able to do it. And we used our strengths, which was that period of the race. Yeah, to be able to know too, because obviously with rowing, for those who aren't familiar, you can see who's behind you. So when you're winning, you can see if someone's making a move. I mean, (laughs) it's tough if you're naked, you're absolutely cooked and someone's moving on you and you're like, I can do nothing to defend this. You probably don't know that as much. Uh, yeah, I, I remember there's two races very vividly where I like because I do the calling and, and I was steering. There were two races vividly where I'm like, oh shit, you know, with 500 meters to go, and I'm like, this is this is a race, you know, like this is this is what we train for. Like here we go, you know, and it just it's like that's when that's when you got to kick into that desperation and you got to you got to flick the switch on this is going to come down to a stroke, you know, like across the line. It's going to come down to like no mistakes from this point onwards. Have we done this before? Whatever, um, you know, and we've had some absolute humdinger finishes in a couple of races. And I was just like, holy shit. One, which we probably shouldn't have won, Carapero 2010. But um, I still think that the British, there's two factors. We had high knowledge, so I knew exactly when we were going to sprint. And I think they just went a little bit too hard before the last 500 and they opened up a bit of a gap and it was just going to be slightly unsustainable. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what they tried and they did a very, very good job of it and they nearly got her. So, um, yeah, and a, and a Serbian pair one time. And, and this is where, this is where if I, and I love it because I would have done the exact same thing, right? We were very dominant. We, we were moving into, I think it was 2015. We are at Lucerne. 
And the Serbian crew was the heat, and it was like two crews going through to the final, uh, through to the semi. And they came out of the blocks and they got like a length on us and said, like, okay. And then we pulled back level about the K and I was like, okay, we'll start moving through. And then they went and I was like, oh. And so then they went again and I was like, oh. So we're pushing along and we've got good speed because I know our speed. And I'm like, oh. And then we went to like 500 to go and I was like, shit. And this is a heat. And everybody's way back, like 100 meters, 150 meters behind. So I'm just looking sideways and I can hear them and I can, you just feel the stress in, in their voices, you know, and we're quite calm. And then we just, we just pushed a bit, we pushed a bit. And then I was like about 350 to go. I was like, take it up, bang. And we broke them. And then they just, they basically, well, they didn't give up, but they, we just broke them. And, and it was like, we, we had the ability to go again and they didn't. And I was like, oh, but it was like, we finished that race. And like, I think our race is about, 10 or 12 seconds quicker than all the other races because it was a full-on steam buster. And I always thought about it and thought if I'd been in the position of everybody else, I would have gone up to all our competitors and gone, hey, you're racing Kiwis today. Do you want to take it to them? And then uh, we'll, 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 if we're in the semifinal tomorrow, we'll fucking take them as well. So you burn us out rather than focusing on like their race as such. It's only, like it's a World Cup and I know you want to do well, but it's like if everybody had given us a real, real good nudge in each race, we would have been really cooked by the final. And then someone could have come out and been like, yeah, boys, you're tired. We're not. And then they could have really given it a nudge and just absolutely spent it. And it could have been very, very close. But that was the thing. You know, it was just like, I think that's what, as I said before, that what stood us apart from everybody else was consistency, the ability to do it time and time again on repeat and know that we could do it on repeat. Um, and, and it was all from training, you know, it was from all the pieces we did, you know, where you're doing sort of 8,000 metres back to back and you're just like, oh my God, you know, but you've got to make every single one of them very good. You don't want to have one that's real shit. You've got to be able to do consistency. Um, and, and that's the key. And I think any day now when you see teams going very, very well, or athletes in particular, it's because they're consistent. They might not necessarily win every time, but they're consistent. It's not like one day they're like getting second, the next day they're not making a final of something. You're like, oh, okay, that's weird. You know, it's they're always there or thereabout. And I think, you know, we've got some very, very great athletes like that. And then it's just about your timing running to your Olympics and making sure that you're on fire when that comes around. Yeah, and the Serbian pair, I can just imagine that feeling in your gut. If you're like locked like absolutely like we're beating them a couple hundred meters and uh, then they just to see you guys coming at you and you're exhausted you must be like oh no like that's it not giving up but that sense of like they're not they're not even at their capacity even though you might have been um to see that yeah well one one thing and I and, I, and it, it always comes out and I and I hate I hate saying that because it sounds so fucking arrogant and I'm not an arrogant person I've always been respectful of everything else but I feel like in racing internationally I feel like there was only two or three occasions especially in the pair probably two three maybe yeah where we absolutely emptied the tank and I mean you were like the last drop the last stroke the last drop is coming out of the tank um but we did that so many times in training you know, like in training, we'd race the men's double, right? And we'd get like a six second head start. And we're like, Jesus, we're meant to have 12, you know, world record difference or, or 10 or whatever. And you'd be like, six seconds, Jesus, they're going to get us by the thousand. But then that would push us so hard to there. And then they'd catch up. And then we're holding the pace, holding the pace. And then while they're trying to sprint, we are absolutely like 
emptying the shit out of it so we can get across that line first. So our, a lot of our training pieces became so much harder than, than the racing because we're taking a faster crew and trying to keep up with a faster boat because we, we didn't have any other pairs to race against. So we've got to take a woman's quad who are very similar in pace and a men's double who are slightly faster and then handicap ourselves to a point where we're like in this in this pressure cooker environment, which then gives us that experience of what that pressure cooker environment is in that situation. And so we'd be very disappointed in those races when they'd beat us, you know, knowing full well we're still prognostically better. But we were like, damn it, we didn't, we didn't like what what have we got to find? How are we going to hold them? Sometimes to a point where we're like, we can't, they're just way too quick. But we'd be like, okay, well, let's just try and do a bit more in the middle, you know, and, and this was the thing. So so training was so much harder than the racing, which I think in, in a way, I feel like that's probably the way you want to be doing it. And it's the way that I think for us, this is what gave us the confidence is to be like, ah, man, when we raced that double like three weeks ago, she was a humdinger. And it was like, if we do that with any other crew, there ain't no other crew going as fast as a double. And so that's what gave us the confidence, you know, because we just knew. It's just, it's just, we just knew that there was nobody else with that sort of pace out there. Um, and then you go through all the preliminary, preliminary rounds and look at everybody's data and you'd be like, nah, sweet, you know, like this is, this is going to be good racing and, you know, it'll be tight to the K or something like that. But this is where we make it pay, and and that was how it was, you know. So in our first, I think in our first four years going up to London, there was probably probably about ten or twelve occasions where we sort of weren't. No, nah, there's probably about ten occasions where we weren't in front after the thousand meters. Um, but then in our second cycle going to Rio, there was probably only about a dozen where we were in front because it was just like people had started figuring out that part. But they hadn't got that third 500 or into that last quarter ride. Um, and so then, of course, you know, we would always push through everybody in that period and, and we'd be in front by the 500 to go. And then we'd just hold that pace and, and we'd end up winning. Um, but it was just a complete shift in the way that people were trying to compete. And I think that's one thing. If you look at it in a way, if you've made a change in a sport for the better or just the way that people think they need to be doing something and people start to copy it, which they did, then surely you've left the lasting impression on the sport. And I think that's really what we were able to do. Definitely. Like you said, heading into London, um, you would be ahead at the half. But then what you'd spoken about earlier was honing in. Okay, instead of going 134, 136, I want 135, 135. So everyone else is still in that mindset of blast it, hold on, try to blast it again. But you'd evolved. So you spend all this like time, this training, you're literally the best. How did you, how did you know when to call it? <laughs> yeah, good one. Um, so we had, I, I truly felt like I was going to go through to Tokyo. Um, now I had a couple of little niggly injuries, one in my knee, um, which I had done not rowing stupidly being on the, on the beers or something one time, maybe. Um, and so I got the meniscus like cleaned up in my knee. It didn't, didn't affect me while I was rowing, but I just couldn't run. You know, it's one of these niggling injuries that people live with for their whole lives, but it's like, we've got, you know, high performance sport. Thank you very much. We'll get a cut, bang, we're out. And then I rehabbed it. And then the whole idea was I was going to spend just, I was going to spend that whole 2017 just having a life 
training in the system, you know, just working with some people, keeping fit. Hamish was going to go on the bike for a year and then he was like, I'll see whether I go for two, which he did. Um, and so I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just carry on. And then we're like, I think we had parked the pier. We were like, well, we could, we'll park the pier because we, you know, the pressure of going back into that and trying to do it a third time. I was like, I don't think we can do that. Like it was not like it was, it was getting hard towards the finish, but mentally it was just like, we had to keep reminding ourselves that we're not going out in a, in a race with the fear of failure, we've still got to have that desire to win, you know, whereas a lot of times you were like, man, I hope we don't lose there, you know, like, and that's not a great mental place to be in, especially in sport. Um, and so, of course, that was starting to weigh on us a little bit. So we were like, well, let's get an eight going. You know, we've got these good guys, you know, they've they've been right there or thereabouts. They're winning some medals at World Cups. We've got the potential for really good men's eight and that would be wicked. And so that was the plan. Um, but of course, my boy's autistic. And so he had started school and I was doing a lot of stuff at school with him and we're getting through and trying to figure things out and it wasn't working very well. And it was like, okay, he needs a bit more care and, you know, more, you know, just bits and pieces and, and it wasn't fissing in and it wasn't working at school and it was a bit troublesome. And, and I was like, man, like, what am I doing? I was like, um, I could continue getting taxpayers' money in row, or I could, I could look after my boy and and you know like and call it a day and do this and you know have I achieved everything? And so in my head, I was like, I ain't got nothing more to achieve. I'd love to win another gold medal. Don't get me wrong, um, but I was like, but yeah. Zach needs my attention. Yeah, and so in a way, I was like, it would be it would be rude's probably not the right terminology. Um, it would be criminal of me if I didn't do what was right for my son and look after him and, and find his avenue in the world in the best way possible, you know, because he's quite a high needs autistic child. And I was like, so what, you know, where do we start? What do we need to be doing? And so that's really where it came about. It was like, right, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, I'm going to look after, I'm going to figure out a way for Zach. I can work part-time. I've still got a lot of sponsorship stuff to do. I've still got a whole lot of other shit on the plate. Um, and so I'll transition through this quite easily. Um, and it was. And of course, so for me, I had great opportunities and I slipped straight into a couple of opportunities and then carried on with it and, and started getting Zach into the right place and figuring out how his schooling was going to work and being with him at school sometimes and, and getting him in the right place. And then we changed the school to a special needs school. Best thing we ever did, you know, and just working with it to get him into the right the right situations and the right education. And of course, that just took it took trial and error trying to find out how it went. And so that was me. Um, and so in a way, I didn't I missed the camaraderie of the rowing and bits and pieces. But at the end of the day, I was like, this is this is what I need to be doing, not rowing. Um, and so even any thought of going back, I was like, nah, I've I've got more important things on the plate. I've achieved everything I wanted to. Um, I'm a little disappointed I couldn't carry on, but I think that I needed to be doing this and this is what I want to be doing. Um, and it was a great choice, you know, and probably the knock on the door on the door in 2019 of Hamish saying, I want you to come back in the A, it was like, holy shit. Um, yeah, and that was a very, very interesting conversation and an interesting sort of week or two of trying to get my head around the fact that I'd love to go back and doing it, but there was no way that I could do it. Um, and so then just, yeah, like being on the outside, looking in and helping and chatting to a few of the boys and, and helping them get their thing right. And, you know, just, just little stuff, not working with them fully, but just, you know, the little bits and pieces you could do to get it right. And then watching them win, um, I was like, didn't see that happening. Not in a million years. Didn't see that happening at all. You know, 
when you look at it, you're like, they, they that's that's bucking the trend a lot. Um, but at the same time, you know, you got to take your hat off. You know, you had everything against them, everything against them, and they were able to win. And so, you know, it's it's it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure to watch. And you know, I don't know if I'd come back whether I would have actually been in there because I just don't know if I could have got fit enough. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, that was that. That's just how it is. Yeah, and you're someone who's so all in. You're obsessed, as we've discussed. There was no half half in it. And at that point already, 2019. The platform and the avenues you've gone in, not just with Zach and like the hands-on in terms of family stuff, but, you know, you do go into Celebrity Treasure Island, you're dancing with the stars, even though those things might not have happened yet, they're in motion. You're doing the house renos now, like that next thing, you're all in on all those other parts. I, I wanted to touch upon that and also super conscious of your time. I'll just keep yarning. That's all right. Ah, yeah, we'll go. We'll go all day. Great. Oh, we're good. Um, you get into these other competitions, right? Like, yeah, Celebrity Treasure Islands, you're dancing with the stars. Are you there like, right, we need to go twice a day, up at five? Like, how, <laughs> how is that? Well, the, the Treasure Island one, I was still reasonably fit from, from that. And I still had that, you know, massive drive to be like, Kelly Run, I'm super competitive. Um, and so that was that was me on the show. And it was... But the, the whole thing was that I started using, I started understanding what profile and, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to say influence. Wow, it is, but I'm not an influencer. Um, I started understanding what it was all about, especially in our time through rowing when we got sponsorship and understanding um, the value and, and what you do for other people. And so, of course, um, I, at the time, I was like, well, I'm going to do this for Autism New Zealand because I was like, if, if, I can, if I can dig up 100K, then it's going to help the organisation. Um, and so going into that show, it was like, this is going to be fun because I remember watching it as a kid and then got on there very quickly and just understood what happens. And you're like, wow, this is, this is insane. Um, and then I was just like, well, I've got a strength team. I was like, I'll be as competitive as shit and we'll try and win and we'll, we'll get fed. And that was what we did, you know? And so I was like, well, I did my job. Um, <laughs> but the games and the way that it worked was all crazy. But, you know, using that profile for betterment was was one of the goals, you know? And then, of course, same thing again with Dancing with the Stars. It's like when they ask you, like, do you want to dance? You're like, no. But you're like, I'll give it a go, you know? And it's like, yeah, well, look, you know, these are, these are sort of the figures that we raise for for uh, on the charities from this. And I'm like, far out. If we can raise 30, 40 grand, this would be awesome, you know? Like, great, I'll do eight weeks or 10 weeks on a show and train and, and do whatever I need to, to, to actually make that happen. And so, you know, in that period, I was asked to be patron of Autism New Zealand and just be an advocate and, and you know, a voice. And I think I've used that very well, you know, and done very, very well because of that, because I needed to. And I feel that it was my responsibility in a way to be like, yes, I can help other people because of, of the opportunity that I was given. Um, and now I'm like, yeah, let's, let's give it a whirl. And so that's really what I've done outside of rowing was to use my profile as much as possible to do as many things as I can and, you know, still public speak and talk to kids and, and go down and, you know, motivate or whatever I can because I was, I was, I was given an opportunity from my own rights and my own selfishness, don't get me wrong, from trying to be as successful as I could. And it spiraled well out, way out of control with that obsession to 
to a point where we just got so successful and set ourselves apart from anybody else in the world. And I'd be like, it would just be a damn shame if you just like shut up shop and become a hermit. Um, and so, yeah, I love getting out and talking to people and just, you know, having a good yard and figuring out and if it can help other people in their lives, then, you know, by all means, you know, it's what we're here for. Oh, that links right back to the very start of the conversation, right? Is you're having conversations and speaking to people or speaking of things, whether that's as, you know, patron for, it's patron for Autism New Zealand, right? That's their mm-hmm. title, yeah. Yep doing that good work and making it fun too through those avenues or the more serious, not that that's not serious, but sometimes those maybe harder conversations people have when it comes to the mental health and suicide. And there's a man who Jay Gerald is his name and Etu Tangata is a foundation he has. And I think you probably find it pretty interesting. And it's all about getting into the schools and having these tall poppy conversations to get kids to back themselves and to build that confidence that will help them as they grow up. Like kind of he's getting to the crux of it at a younger age to be able to make conversations feel like a natural thing that should happen rather than sometimes when we get older, things we don't want to talk about as much. So I appreciate it. I just want to say thank you for you Sorry. using your platform to do it. It's, um, it's, it's, it's awesome to see of all the accomplishments and things you've done other than being a dad. I'd say that's one you should be most proud of and the medals and stuff mm. is pretty good too. Yeah, I as I say, I, I, I think as you mature, right, we, and we all, we all start to mature, I'm over the hill, um, you just start to realise, like, the fuck was I doing back then? You know, why was I, you know, why, why did I have negative impact on other people's lives, you know, when it didn't affect me? And why was I so judgmental about something? You know, why did I why did I put people down for this or, you know, just for whatever reason, it's just like, I don't know. Like, do we need a positivity class? You know, do we need, do we need to start like, <laughs> do we need people to just be like, Hey, you know, like this is, this is, this is the way that we should be. The problem is with society, it's the haves and the have nots, you know, and it just, it goes right back to that level. You know, whereas if we all went to school together and we all just had a harmonious relationships with everybody and there was no class or gender discriminations or fucking anything you know like just personal the way you looked the way you dressed everything else if none of that existed it'd be harmonious i think everybody would just be like this is great this is life but for some reason as i say it goes way way back into the have the head not that you've got this i've got that i live here you live there all of that shit and that's what people have to deal with and i don't there's no way no way you'll ever i don't think you'll ever ever solve that issue in society um you know and i think it's not until you mature like now and you're just like man could have just turned up said hi to everybody done your own fucking business and carried on and not worried about anything else worked with people when you needed to did stuff by yourself when you had to and it would have been great you know but never you know never i don't want to work with him you know i don't want to work with her don't like that person don't like this like, oh my god, you know, it's like if you just looked at it now and been like, well, you know what, it didn't affect you in any way, but you had to have your opinion on it. It's just crazy, you know, and that that's one of the things. It's just like take the variables into your account, and that's what I do now. You know, it's just like, but if if I got no other business in someone's lives, you don't need to be online and fucking comment. You know, it's like, does it affect you in any way? Does it piss you off? Yeah, turn it off. 
pretty easy. And I walk away. Um, and that, yeah, I just, I'd love to see just people. And I, I know it's cliche and it's like people being kind, you know, good old Jacinda, but that's the thing. In a way, I'm like, I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. Everyone should be kind. Everyone should just like, does it affect you? No. Can you help someone out? Yes, do it. You know, like whatever, but don't bag on and just, you know, what a dick, that person, don't like them, don't like them. If you don't, if you don't like them, don't don't talk about them, don't deal with them, don't do anything. You know, this jealousy, this backstabbing, this gossiping, it's like far out. Does it actually achieve anything? And I think that's the thing is like the more people that start to understand that, the better off you're going to be. It's like take control of your life and figure out where you want to be. Surround yourself with people who either agree with what you're doing or want to be on that journey. And if people don't, don't, do you need to be with them? It's like, I think that's the problem with the society and stuff. It's like, you got to, people go, oh, I've got to have all these friends and I've got to do all this stuff and you've got to do all this. And it's like, because that's just what you have to do. And it's like, well, actually shit changes, you know, and you should be happy with doing what you want to do and and take, you know, I'll be the first person to say, you know, like everybody has their own pathway that they want to go down, right? And you, you have these dreams and aspirations, but I'll tell you what, that pathway has junctions all over that bastard. It goes everywhere. It's like, I'll take this road. No, oh, that didn't work out right. And then you still got these pathways. They're still all heading in the same direction, but man, they scapegoat everywhere. And they're like, oh, I want to go on an overseas trip. Cool, do that. Oh, I want to do this. I want to save up for a house. Okay, well, you can't go out and get on the booze for like two years, maybe three, whatever. Um, you know, but but those are the decisions that you have to make in life. You know, and everybody's got to make decisions. You know, I think a lot of the time it's like make a decision, be happy with the with the decision that you made. But if it doesn't work out, who cares? Go back onto the path, like look back towards the path that you've done, you know. And and I think that's that's the real goal is, you know, I made these decisions and and there was pathways along the way that I had to make other decisions and then was what I wanted to do at the time and I carried on and now I'm making decisions now, you know, renovating. It's like, do I make these decisions? What am I doing this way? Should I take the risk and buy another one and do another one? Or should I sit on it and not? You know, should I spend more time on golf or should I do this with my work? Should I try the new job? Should I try this? It's always decisions that have to be made. And I think the moment you start to just understand that they're decisions for you and your family and and the people that are close to you, you're going to have a way better opportunity at being healthier, mentally healthier, uh, than you are worrying and, and, and concerned with what other people think and what other people are doing, rather than just being like, I'm just going to be my person. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And that's that's the situation. Oh, wow. Um. um... I have to like digest. See, I could have, I could have, see, I could have, I could have learned physio, I could have learned psychology, I mean, and got into it. But that, but that's it. I think that's, this is one of these things. It's just like, the more you look at it, you're just like, oh man, like, why are we, why are we so concerned about all of this? And and I, I'm not a holistic person, don't like, I don't think I am, but you just start looking at it in terms of that way. And it's like, it seems like a healthier way rather than society. And it's like, you know, like, do you want to have some nice clothes? That's great. Do you, do you need to match what everyone else is doing? Mm, I don't know. But that's the thing, right? It's like there's, there's all these things. It's like I just hate seeing how someone's like, oh, I made all this money, so I'm going to buy a car, Lamborghini. You're like, fucking hell. But if that's what you want to do, that's great, right? And that's the thing. Awesome. I'm not going to judge you because I'm like, if that's what you want to do, that's awesome. If there's one way I can help with that, that's even better. And I think that's the whole thing is it's like, you. but at the same time, do what you want to do. Plan how you want to plan. Um, make decisions about what you want to make decisions because at the end of the day, we we uh, <laughs> we uh, don't don't start thinking about the universe because it it'll mind fuck you. 
but at the end of the day, we're here for a certain period of time. Um, and there's going to be a lot of change in that period of time. And I think you just got to enjoy every moment of it. Like the life, life is short when you look at it, but if you can really have a good nudge at it and just enjoy what you're doing, um, you'll find that you'll have fantastic memories. You'll have, you'll meet so many different people along the road, along your pathway. Uh, and you'll try so many different things that you can sit back and look and and digest and 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 regret. I got fucking regrets coming in my ears. Don't get me wrong. Right, we're all got them. People uh, could be anything, right? And it's and it's just choices. But you like this has shaped me into the person that I am, and I'd much rather have that shaped me than not. You know, um, and so take risks. You know, like just choose choose life. You know, and really just have it have a have a great time for yourself. And number one, always look after yourself and then worry about the people around you after that. You say you're not holistic or you're not, but you 100% are. That... Yeah, well, that's what I mean, but I don't really feel like, I just, I don't know, it's just sort of great. Like it, it, in the time, you know, it's, it's, it's even going back to like the rowing stuff. It was like, I had colleagues, but I never like, and, and some of them obviously like quite good friends, but other people, I was just like, well, you know, it's just like, well, I know you, I'll give you respect and everything else, but I'm not going to like be a lifelong friend, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm doing my part and everything else. And I think that's, that's the situation, you know, we, we do that and in, in whatever we do, but you just got to be looking at it in terms of yourself. And I think that just started growing on me as I matured. So I don't think I was, you know, I, I was a selfish prick when I was rowing. It was like the universal revolt around me. So there ain't no holisticness about that. I'm like so selfish. It was like, you know, at the time and, and obviously ex-wife now, but I was like, she going, I will do this. I was like, nah, I'm going to train. Well, I want to, nah, I'm going to train. You know what I mean? It just became, you were selfish as hell, but then you figured out afterwards, it's like, well, now I'm off that selfish pathway. And I did something very, very special because of that selfishness. But now I'm like looking at it going, well, I can't be selfish anymore. Um, because that sort of ship sailed. So now it's about what can I do with what I've done, which is the giving back, which is the learning and understanding, and that's it. Yeah, and if you hadn't had had that success from, as you say, the selfishness or the self-focus, now you're using that platform and those connections mm -hmm. and all that stuff you learned to give back, and I I think that's brilliant. Um, far out. My, mind, my mind's rattling, but... <laughs> there's, there's you can one... watch it back later you can watch it back later oh no 100% I will um, one open ended question I have for you and then I have a final sort of sign off one because I am I am conscious we we could yarn for hours but is there something you've said a lot is there something left unsaid that if you were to ask like I'm asking Eric right now what's something you feel like needs to be said out there in the world or um little time capsule for you what would that be no I think I said it I think I think that's that's what I've learned in my time and my maturity of just understanding what I guess I see positives in my life um because it's very I, I think one of the thing and I and I talked to a group of athletes the other day you know about positives and opportunities and when we look at things that don't go well, instead of looking at it too negatively, because negativity drags you down. And I'll tell you why, you know, and, and the boys always have a, have a good example of it if we're playing golf, is that you get dragged down into the negativity pit. Because once you start getting negative, everything becomes negative, right? Everything becomes negative. Life becomes negative. 
I've got bills that's negative. I don't have a good relationship or you don't have a relationship that's negative. Uh, my something else has happened that's negative. And so you just start dragging yourself deeper and deeper into this negativity pit. And so if you start trying to just look at it in terms of you did something wrong, it's another opportunity to do it again. You know, something didn't go right. Oh, it's an opportunity to try it differently this time. And so if you just start turning it into, into, into that, the, the best way to describe it is, you know, you think about when you wake up and it's four o'clock in the morning and you go, oh, fuck, I'm awake. It's negative. Rather than going, oh, yes, I can pull that cover back over. I've got an opportunity to sleep for another two and a half hours. So that's one of the things is I think that just looking at it is that people, the world is just a negative place. It's negative, it's negative, it's negative. It's like you haven't done this right, you haven't done this right, whatever. You just got to start looking at positivity because positivity makes me feel happy. And I'm sure positivity and, and positive affirmations and reinforcement for people make you happy. And so if you're just starting to look at opportunities um, and, and positivity, so even when something's bad, instead of thinking, fuck, I've done this wrong, it's so dumb. It's like, okay, but now you've got an opportunity to do it better and make sure it's correct this time. No different than when you're at school, but they don't teach you that. You know, whereas if they'd said, shit, you've done this wrong, rather than like being real niggy about it, turning around and say, okay, how about you try this again and you've learned how not to do it. Now let's do it properly this time. So now people are thinking about it in a positive frame of mind. And that's really, I think, the one thing. Because negative is is damaging. I think negative, too much negativity. Now, yes, you do have to have negativity be pointed out to you. Um, but if you just keep getting bombarded with negativity, I think that's where people suffer. I think people suffer all the time in their own way. And that's where your mental health and things come from is too much negativity rather than that positivity. And that's basically what I was saying before. And just looking at it as an opportunity. Because at the end of the day, one of the biggest things I say to people is that I never felt like I sacrificed anything while I was training, right? And and you look at it and go, um, I, I can look at the sacrifices and what were they? They were, they were time away from family. They were um, training all the time. They were tiredness. They were fatigue and that. But it was an opportunity. And no matter what you're doing, there's an opportunity cost. So if you if you if you want to strive to be a successful business man or woman, you're going to sacrifice the time away from people. You're going to do so many work hours. You're going to do this. That's your opportunity cost. You're not going to be able to go and play golf or go surfing or swimming or, or do this other thing and spend time with your friends and family. That's your opportunity cost. And it doesn't matter what the hell you're doing. Everybody has opportunity costs. If you want to be go and study to be a lawyer, the opportunity cost is you can't be working in a cafe, having a great time traveling the world. Okay, so these are opportunity costs. So I think that's one of the biggest things is just trying to find as much positive because the world is a fucking negative place, whether it's you've got no money, um, whether you've got bad relationships, you know, parents, whatever, your health. Um, you've got to try and look at the opportunities and the positivity. Otherwise, it's yeah, it, it is rather damaging just just personally. No, thank you. It's a, a old phrase that I go by a lot is if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And even, right, like, thank you. My final sign-off question, Eric, is... No worries. If you had to have one meal for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so it's not a final meal, you're not on death row, um, but it's the one meal you have to have, what is it? Forever? Yeah. Forever? Or, oh. <laughs> Sorry. Jeepers. Um, the problem is my weakness is chippies. I love chippies. So you know, vinegar... Like what flavor? Oh, everything. Sour cream and chives is like 
there's one here it's roasted garlic and aioli oh balsamic vinegar and and oh what is it caramelized caramelized onion, onion. Oh. the um oh. you get a countdown it's like the little purpley oh, yeah yep. yeah, oh, yeah yeah I honestly that I, I i me and potato chips there's just this it's just this love-hate relationship unfortunately because like i love them but they're so what they're not bad for you, but they are because it's when you eat old packet and you're like, oh shit. And if you haven't done any training, you're like, that's going on the waistline or else I need. And, and that's it. It's just, you know, the calorie, the calories and the speed that that's coming through the body is like, boom, it's out of here. <laughs> so it's like, uh, and that, and that's it, right? That's, that's, that is, that's it. And, and so I would, I'd be eating chippies because I just love my chippies. I think that's a great, answer i also think you won't get saturated of it because it sounds like you've got that love for it eric thank you so much this was a personal like crazy moment for me just to yarn with you good no luck worries. with the renos i hope the weather's great for this weekend and yeah, yeah. you following are you following my instagram page yeah What's cambridge, like, NZ? cambridge villa nz because <laughs> yeah little shout out so I do enjoy following. I started following the other, I think yesterday or something, and definitely some good behind the scenes. 112 years old, right? That house. It is 112. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's beautiful. She's beautiful old house. Um, it was just the people. Two, only two owners. Um, but of course, when you arrive and you look through the house and the toilets on the outside of the house under under like a little carport thing, you're like, oh wow, okay. You've spent 50 years walking down the hallway, through the dining room, through the kitchen, outside in the middle of winter to take a piss in the middle of the night. And you're like, really? Yeah. And so it was just it was just that old because that's just how the houses were built back 112 years ago. So we've been, yeah, we've been sprucing her up and she's looking real beautiful on the outside. We still had a paint, like well, basically the whole outside of the house. Um, but we started tearing walls down and we put doors on the back and starting to get the bedrooms and, and bathrooms are starting to sort of take shape. Kitchen arrived probably in the, this month. And then, yeah, we'll start putting it together and it will look fucking beautiful in a lovely house. So, yeah, keep following. <laughs> I love it. Eric, thank you so, so much. Um, absolute pleasure talking to you. No worries. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk. We'll see you next time. Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube, and the website. Thanks for today's guest, and we'll see you all next time. Take care.